by praying together. Let's pray. Father, each one here, you have gathered. You have brought forth according to your good purpose. We pray that you would work in the hearts of each one, that you would cause us to bring glory to you, and that you would build us up and strengthen us through your word and spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The Lord calls us this morning to worship with these words from 1 Chronicles 16. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Congregation of our Lord Jesus, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Hear now His greeting. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing praise together to Him from... Number 298 in our Blue Psalter hymnal, number 298.
The Bible teaches us that though we were made for the purpose of loving God and loving mankind, reflecting the very character of God before all the world, in sin, we've been corrupted. So that what comes natural to us is not love but hatred. What comes natural to us is not serving others but serving ourselves. And that's what really is a defining mark of the unbeliever. That he loves only himself and that he hates God, he hates his neighbor. But 1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now the first step to demonstrating that kind of love is is putting our hope in the Lord, joining with the saints in confessing Christ. But as he points out, that needs to be followed up with a love that is shown to our neighbor, a love that's concrete, a love that's real, because that too is part of our confession. So we begin by confessing together the Lord Jesus Christ and our trust in Him. We do that by singing hymn number 330 in our blue Psalter hymnal, number 330, O Jesus, we adore Thee.
He promises us that none who turn to him will ever be turned away. That all who, who truly seek him from the heart, asking, Lord, grant to us remission, life through thy death restore. Grant us the fruition of life forevermore, that he'll give them that, and abundantly. But having given us that, having restored us to God through his sacrifice, he then calls us to live a life, well, as we heard in 1 John 4, a life of love, reflecting the love that God has shown us. And to help us do that, he's given us the law, which teaches us to reject and to turn away from the hateful works of the flesh. And so he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In this way we learn, turning away from the selfishness and the hatred of our sin, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul, mind and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. One of the truest confessions of Christ we could make. We need our Father's help to do that. So we need to turn to Him in prayer. And we also need to uphold each other in prayer in doing so. Um, a few prayer updates to mention first. Um, we should be praying for the Vanderveen family um, as Marge's funeral was on Thursday. Um, we also should be praying for uh, Bruce and Linda. Um, Linda is still recovering from her surgery but is making progress. Um, it's slow. And, and that's really hard. So pray for patience. Pray for continued healing for Linda. Also for Bruce, he was able to receive a chemotherapy treatment uh, on Friday. But, uh, but that left him with quite a bit of fatigue. And, uh, and he needs his strength. He needs to be able to get past that so that he can get Linda home from Rochester when she has sufficiently healed. So please pray for Bruce also. 
um, and continue keeping our other members in prayer who are uh, undergoing chemotherapy and various treatments for cancer. Um, and then in our nation, um, if you've seen the news in the last day or so, um, quite a number of, of tornadoes broke out down south, uh, I believe it was Friday, and um, pretty much demolished two entire towns in Mississippi. Last I heard, there were 23 dead and quite a few missing. Um, one of the mayors was quoted as saying that his town no longer existed. It was just rubble. So um, please pray for the, the folks down south that are, are hurting um, and struggling in the midst of that. And let's seek the help of the Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, for you are holy. And we pray that you would enable us to regard you and to treat you according to that holiness. We thank you that you have caused your kingdom to come through the coming and the work, the victory and the ascension of your son Jesus. And we pray that you would cause his triumph to be known throughout our world and particularly throughout our lives. Lord, you know our weaknesses. You know how quickly we turn back to the sins from which we've been freed and how slow we are to show genuine love to you and to our neighbor. But we've heard from your word that that is essential. That those who have been so loved by God that our sins have been forgiven must demonstrate that love to our neighbor whom we can see. But Lord, we know that we can't and we won't left to our own devices, relying upon our own power. We will continue in the way of sin, in the way of divisiveness, in the way of unforgiving hearts, in the way of bitterness, in the way of tearing down rather than building up. We will continue in the path that the world walks, which is the way of wrath, which is the way of rebellion. Father, free us from that ugly, death-ridden path. And as those who have confessed faith in Christ, by your Spirit, transform us day by day. That we might be those who turn aside from our sins and delight in holiness. That we might focus our hearts on your word and on you who are revealed through it. Rather than on the so-called wisdom of this world. That we might seek to build up our neighbors, our family members, our friends. Rather than tearing them down. Carefully speaking that which will bless rather than that which will curse. Choosing to, to love and to forgive and to set aside offense. Covering it over with love rather than dwelling on it and seeking vengeance and treasuring up bitterness. Lord, you know how hard this is for us. And we know that we can do it only by your Spirit, but by your Spirit, through whom you made the heavens and the earth, by whom you taught us to confess faith in Christ, 
We know that you will triumph over our every sin, our every evil. Father, we thank you that we can come before you in our times of need, knowing that you will hear our prayer and meet our need, knowing indeed that you know that need better than we do. Father, we lay before you the many loved ones and friends who are struggling this day. We've mentioned Linda and Bruce and their situation. We ask that you would give them the patience and the healing and the rest that they need, that we might rejoice at the healing and the restoration you provide for Linda, that we might celebrate the strength that you provide for Bruce. And we pray that you would enable them to feel your presence near them, that they might not feel alone or separated. And likewise, Lord, we pray for our other members who are undergoing treatment for cancer, who are dealing with pain and disease and depression and various struggles. Lord, we ask that you would watch over in particular Dan and Joel and Jamie, Norm and Bob, Bryce and Marquet. Lord, we ask for them and for others who are, are dealing with various needs for healing and for strength that you would provide day by day by day, demonstrating the greatness of your mercy. We pray for uh, those who are mired in their sin and wrestling with it, wrestling against it. We pray that you would draw them out of their sin and help them to find their hope and their strength in you. We pray for our members who are pregnant, that you would strengthen and sustain them and bring forth their children at the proper time. For those who are um, preparing for big changes in their lives. We ask that, that you would strengthen them, that they might put you first in the midst of those changes, enabling them to serve you with faithfulness and to testify that you are the one who has provided for them. We pray for those who grieve. We think especially of the Vanderveen family. Lord, we ask that, that you would uh, strengthen and encourage them that you would comfort them as only you are able. We pray for our family members beyond the church, for Jim and Di Walthorn as Jim recovers from a blood marrow transplant, for uh, Joe's stepfather Gary as he uh, recovers from his recent surgery, for Larry's son Dan uh, recovering from his heart surgery, and Lord, so, so many others who weigh upon us. We ask that you would comfort and strengthen them as only you are able. We pray for our distant members. Lord, watch over Peter on deployment in Europe, Greta in Ohio, Nathan and Calvin down in Texas in college, Austin over in Wisconsin, Joanna in Sioux Falls, and also others who are not able to be with us. Lord, Give them the, the strength. Draw them close to you day by day. Father, we pray for our 
children in the midst of their schooling as their school year is is slowly drawing to a close, as they're, they're getting closer and closer and their teachers are trying to fit so much in, we pray that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them in that, and that you would bless them. We pray for those who are preparing for spring break activities. We ask that you would bless them in that and allow them to keep you first in all of it. We think of of Jack Knoll, who is uh, serving with Reform Mission Services in in, uh, Florida during spring break, and the group that he's going with, and others who will be traveling for that time. We ask that it all might be done in your name and for your glory. That you would protect and keep them and bring them back safely to us. And Father, we pray for our nation. We are in such a time of turmoil. Forces of darkness are seeking to divide. Seeking to heap scorn upon your truth and your ways. Seeking to exalt that which is dark and rebellious and hate-filled rather than that which is of the light and which points to Christ. But we know that you are still on the throne. We pray that you would raise up leaders in our land who love you and who trust you. That you would preserve the freedoms that you've given us. That through those freedoms your truth might be proclaimed. That you would enable your people to not take lightly or take for granted the gifts and the opportunities you've given us. But enable us to remind our countrymen that the freedoms we have have been given by you. And that they're to be used for your honor and glory. We pray in particular for our countrymen in in, uh, Mississippi who are dealing with the immediate aftermath of tornadoes. We pray that you would comfort those who grieve the loss of loved ones, the loss of homes, the loss of businesses. We pray that you would mobilize your church and cause it to to bring not just physical help, but also spiritual hope. That through this loss might come the greatest gain man has ever known, the gain of the gospel, the gain of life. And we pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified as you provide for those who are in such need. And now, Lord, as we look to your word, we recognize that we are in great need. For we are, well, left to ourselves, we are utterly without hope. So remind us through your word that we are not left to ourselves. That you sent your son to provide everything that we need and to provide it precisely the way that we need it. Enable us to take hold of that truth. That we might stand firmly rooted on the sure foundation. And that when we confess you before one another and before the world, we might do so with genuine trust and genuine gratitude. Grant that your word might be proclaimed faithfully and that our hearts filled by your Holy Spirit might receive that word earnestly and eagerly. 
We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare to look together to God's word from Romans, let's stand and sing together from Psalm 31 in our Trinity Psalter hymnal. Number 31, Selection A, we'll sing stanzas 1 and 2, then 6 and 8. 1 and 2, 6 and 8 of 31A.
Well, I invite you to turn with me to Romans 5. Our sermon text this morning is going to be verses 6 through 11 of Romans 5, but we're going to read um, starting at the beginning of the chapter. Um, This is a, a brief interlude. We haven't given up on Exodus We're going to come back to it, Lord willing, uh, right after Easter, but uh, we're having a brief interlude with the recognition that Easter is coming and um, that there's a lot of traditions wrapped up in this time of year that don't necessarily focus us where we ought to be focused. And so Romans 5 helps us to do that, to keep our eyes where they should be focused. Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Beloved congregation chosen by God in Christ, as I said, with Easter right around the corner, it seemed wise to pause just briefly to consider the true significance of that holiday that we Celebrate, which seems in our culture to center around bunny rabbits and colored eggs and chocolate. Not that there's anything wrong with chocolate. In fact, that chocolate probably has more to do with Easter than bunny rabbits ever did. By all accounts, the Easter bunny came about uh, back in the Middle Ages, part of a pagan fertility celebration. Rabbits are prolific in bringing forth young, and so rabbits were celebrated as part of their fertility practices. When they uh, came into the church in the Middle Ages, they were loath to give up those old traditions, so the church kind of baptized them. Said, well, you know, it speaks of new life, and Easter is about new life, and so Easter, bunny, it's kind of a stretch, right? And yet it's all over the place. We see it literally everywhere this time of year. But Easter's not about rabbits. It's not about goodies and sweets. Though it is about something quite sweet. At the end of the day, Easter is about love. 
I always wondered why, when I was a kid, why we called the day Good Friday when we celebrated, when we recognized Jesus' death on the cross. That doesn't seem very good. But when we understand why he died on the cross, when we understand why he did what he did, that it was all rooted in love, that it was a manifestation of love for us, that it was the way that God in love would reconcile to himself a people who were mired in sin and rebellion and unholiness, well, then we see that it's good indeed. And that's what Paul is talking about in our text this morning. Now, Lord willing, on Good Friday, we'll move on from there. We'll see uh, Romans 5 a little bit farther on. And we'll see how um, Jesus had to do that. He had to come as the new Adam to fulfill the covenant that Adam broke, but also to pay the penalty for Adam's breaking of it. But today we see the underlying purpose for his coming and the ultimate result of his work. And what we see is that God revealed the uniqueness of his grace. He revealed the uniqueness of his grace in the sacrifice of his son. And the first thing we see about that in verses 6 through 8 is how the sacrifice of his son was a uniquely generous act of love. Verse 6 starts out with the apostle reminding us what Jesus did. He died. Death has always been our enemy. That's been recognized by everyone from pagans to pilgrims. Everybody recognizes that death is bad, that death is the enemy. Even cultures that in some measure celebrated death, well, they themselves didn't want to die. They wanted other people to die. Because in our hearts we know that death is bad. It's not what mankind was created for. It introduces a separation between us and the people that we love, between us and the things that we delight in. More than that, in our hearts we know that we, everybody, all of mankind knows in their hearts that death is a punishment for sin. God warned Adam at the start that if he didn't do what God commanded, if he rejected God's instruction, he would surely die. Later on in Ezekiel 18, God emphasized that death is justice for the sins that men have committed. Death brings separation from all that we love and cherish. Death is the entrance into complete separation from God's blessing. In short, death is and always has been the enemy. We all know that. And yet Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, willingly accepted death for others. He took the death that other people deserved. Because you see, Jesus alone didn't deserve death. Our catechism class has been talking about that, how Jesus, he's the only one who wasn't guilty in Adam because he was before Adam, right? Everybody else, Adam represented. And so when Adam sinned, he did so on our behalf. And so every one of us began at the moment of conception guilty and worthy of God's wrath. But as if to confirm that that was a just judgment, every single one of us began life sinning. 
We followed Adam's footsteps. We did what Adam taught us to do by his example and by the corruption that his sin filled us with. So every one of us deserved to die. Jesus is the only one who every one of God's commands kept. If God said don't do that, he didn't do that. If God said you ought to do that, he did that wholeheartedly. Not just in deed, but in word, in thought, in desire. All of him was holy. All of him was perfect. He was the only one who deserved God's love, God's praise, God's acceptance. And yet despite that, he died willingly for us who deserved God's wrath. Now dying in the place of someone else, that's an act of love that is astoundingly rare. And Paul points that out. In verse 7 he says... For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Now, a righteous person, of course, no one is truly, completely righteous other than Jesus. But there are people that we encounter now and then who are relatively righteous. They make great efforts to not do what is wrong, but to do what God commands of them. They live in such a way that it seems like their life goal is to not offend God. Their life goal is to honor the Lord. When we see such people, we admire them. We rejoice in the example that they set. But are we willing to die for them? We see somebody like that and they're being persecuted. Well, let's be honest. Sometimes we see folks like that being not killed, but just persecuted, bullied. Are we willing to step in for them? We've seen it a few times in recent years as public sentiment has turned against Christianity. And people who aren't willing to affirm and celebrate the depravity that is overtaking our culture, find that their business is attacked, find that they're being dragged into court, find that they're being either put out of business or, or fined through court cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. How many of us are willing to step up and say, I'll pay that for them. I'll take that penalty or even I'll fight on their behalf. Very few. And if we're not willing to fight for them, are we really, really willing to die for them? And that's common. That's been common. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. And that was the case. Scarcely will one die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. What's the difference between someone righteous and someone good? There's really not much, is there? True goodness is the absence of sin. It's a moral and spiritual righteousness. But commonly we speak of someone who is good... He's a good man. She's a good woman. Because they're selfless. Because they're loving. Because they give themselves for others. We see somebody who gives themselves for others. And we think surely that person doesn't deserve to be mistreated. And those kind of people do tend to inspire in us a a spirit of self-sacrifice. We see the way they pour themselves out for others. We kind of want to pour ourselves out for them. Missionaries, 
who fearlessly proclaim the gospel, crusaders who speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, soldiers who put themselves between society and the evil that would destroy it. We see them being mistreated. They were a little more apt to stand up and be counted. But not easily, not lightly. Even when a person seems worthy, our love of life and our fear of death restrains us. But Christ died for the ungodly. He willingly stood in the place not of those who were good and had devoted themselves to giving of themselves for others, not those who were largely righteous, who had worked hard to subject their sin to death, who had worked hard to rid their lives of rebellion. No, no. For those who were ungodly, for those who had continued in their sin, continued in their rebellion. For them he died, for us. And the Bible bears ample witness to the fact that that's all of us. Right? Romans 3, Paul says, All, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. In chapter 2, he tells us that there are some who know the law of God and they will be judged according to the law of God. And there are some who don't know the law of God and they'll be judged according to what they knew in their hearts. But all of us are in the same boat because chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We all knew that God existed. We all knew that we should serve Him. We all knew that we were rebelling against Him and we did it anyway. No one deserves life. Every one of us is among the ungodly and yet Jesus died for the ungodly. How many of us would do that? Seeing someone about to be killed, knowing that he deserves the death he's about to endure. How many of us would stand up and say, I'll die in his place. Given the opportunity to take a bullet for someone whose deeds are evil, would you step forward? Would you give up all that you love, all that you cherish for someone who despises you and despises God? But that's what Jesus did. That's what he did when he, kneeling in the garden, said, Not my will, but yours be done. That's what Jesus did when he said to the soldiers with Judas, I am he, let these go. When he refused to answer his accusers, when he refused to protest the injustice of the trial, he willingly embraced the death that we deserved, even though he did not. And the generosity is even greater because of the timing. He died for the ungodly when? Verse 6, while we, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When men help others. 
they generally expect those others to help themselves a bit. Habitat for Humanity will build or remodel a house for you. But you have to agree to help pay for it. And you have to agree to help work on it. Ask a parolee who spent time in prison how hard it is to find work. Everybody wants evidence that you've changed, evidence that you're trustworthy, but no one wants to give you the opportunity to demonstrate that you're trustworthy. They want that track record already there. They want to see that that you have changed because they're afraid of getting hurt. It reminds us how amazing is the generosity of our Savior. He didn't wait until we repented of our sin. We were still sinners, Paul said. He didn't demand that we pay part of the penalty. He did the whole thing. He acted to deliver us before we were able to turn from our sin, before we were willing to turn from our sin, while we were still delighting in our rebellion against God. We did nothing. Jesus did everything when we least deserved it. And why? Verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the reason for Christ's unique generosity. In this way, God showed his love for us. Folks marvel when someone freely gives his life for another. A few years ago, a movie came out telling the story of Private Desmond Doss. An amazing story. This was a a guy who, in his Christian commitments, had vowed to not act violently toward another, and to that end, not to take up arms against another. But then World War II broke out, and he felt a duty to serve his country. Now, he could have been exempted from the draft because of the work that he was doing, but he chose to enlist anyway. Yet because of the vow he made to God, he would not train with a rifle, he would not shoot, he would not serve in the infantry. He volunteered to serve as a medic, And his fellow soldiers mocked him, belittled him, berated him. Yet he chose to serve them. And in fact, the movie goes on to show, and it was a historical rendering, showed that he was given the Medal of Honor for saving 77 men in one day. In the midst of a 22-day battle, during which he was constantly subjected to the rifle and mortar fire of the Japanese army. He himself was wounded, grievously, multiple times, and yet he gave up his place on the stretcher to another wounded man and crawled to the aid station, all the while saving the very men who had belittled him, berated him, mocked him, sworn at him, because of his refusal to join them in the fight. We hear stories like that and they fill us with awe. The kind of selflessness, the kind of love that was demonstrated. But Jesus, he didn't endure the threat of death. He didn't endure the possibility of death. He went to the absolute certainty of the fullness of death, not just physical death, 
Private Dawes was a Christian. He knew where he was going should one of those bullets find their way home. But Jesus knew that he must endure the fullness of death. He must endure hell's pain and anguish of soul. He must endure God the Father forsaking him, knowing the absolute darkness of being utterly alone because he bore our guilt, because he bore what we had done. That is love. We heard it in our assurance of pardon. In this, in this, The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, to be the turning away of wrath for our sin. Brothers and sisters, we need to ponder that selflessness, that generosity, that love that set Jesus on the cross. As you get together with family over Easter, maybe you have some family traditions around the holiday, you need to pause and ponder how utterly and absolutely unworthy we were of God loving us, caring for us, doing anything for us, and how consequently amazing it was that Jesus didn't love us a little bit, didn't help us out, didn't assist us. No, did absolutely everything for us while we were still sinners, while we were still rebels. And if that doesn't move you to absolute praise, if that doesn't move you to tell others about Jesus, nothing will. Nothing will. And as you're pondering that, notice also how complete is the deliverance he provides. That's the the other thing we see in this text. That Jesus' sacrifice was a uniquely complete deliverance. In verse 9, Paul notes that Jesus' death delivers us legally from God's wrath. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood. To be justified, that's a legal term means the judge looks upon you and says, not guilty, not worthy of punishment. Because of what Jesus did, because of the love that He showed to us, God looks on us and instead of seeing all of these sins, all of these rebellions, all of this worthiness of His wrath, He looks on us and He sees Christ's complete suffering on the cross. Paid in full. He looks on us and he sees Christ's absolutely perfect obedience, righteousness. He looks on us and he sees the unsullied, unstained holiness of Christ who never did what was wrong. That could only happen with Jesus pouring out his lifeblood. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It is only and entirely because of the sacrifice that Jesus accomplished that we can stand before God without fear and since we already are justified by Jesus' blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God the wrath of God is what all men deserve kids I want you to think about that there's times that you've 
stolen something that somebody else had that you thought was really cool. Maybe you tricked them into it. Maybe you waited until they had gone to the bathroom and you grabbed it, right? Those times that you've lied to your parents. No, I didn't do that. Oh yeah, I did what you told me. Right? Those aren't little things. God says that in committing those, we deserve his wrath. In 2 Thessalonians 1, he says that on that great day, those who remain in their sin, those who haven't turned to Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That's what those little sins deserve. To suffer the punishment of God's wrath away from His blessing, away from His glory, away from His goodness. But because of what Jesus accomplished in dying for us. No more wrath. No more condemnation. No more punishment. No more guilt for us. And it's not just a legal deliverance. It's personal. Verse 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. What's that word reconciled mean? Reconciled. Sometimes, sometimes I have to mediate. Leaders in the church sometimes have to mediate between people that are at odds, right? They've really offended each other. And one person finally breaks down and says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. It was wrong of me to do that. And the other person says, I forgive you. Good. That's forgiveness. Okay. But then sometimes that second person will say, but I don't want anything to do with you. That's not where God left us. He took our sins, our offense, and he separated them from himself as far as the east is from the west. He chose to act as though we had never sinned. He blinded himself to the ugliness of what we had done. But then he didn't say, but you stand over there, I don't want anything to do with you. No, no. He drew us close. He called us his sons and his daughters. He caused his son Jesus to tell us, in my father's house there are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. So that we could know that on the day of our death we enter not into judgment, not into the courtroom, but into our Father's house where we are surrounded with the glory of His goodness and of His grace. That's reconciliation and that's what Jesus has accomplished. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, made legally, legally free of sin, free of debt, Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you get what that says? That that says that not only are we legally freed from the penalty of our sin, and not only are we drawn near to God in reconciliation, but he promises to save us. What's that mean? What do we need to be saved from? Yourself. Yourself. 
Left to your own devices, you will continue running back to those same sins that would have destroyed you. You will continue miring yourself in the ugliness of that rebellion that made you so hateful to God and makes you hateful to yourself. People who are still in their sin, people who are separated from Christ, they, at the end of the day, they hate themselves because they see in themselves the seeds of their own destruction. They see in themselves a a desire to do what will destroy them, what will make them ugly, what will ruin them for the purpose for which they were created. And if we're relying on our own strength, even having received forgiveness from Christ, we'll turn back to that. We know that because... How many times do we do it? How many times do we work so hard to get rid of that sin and then given a moment of weakness, we turn right back to it? How often do we have such a hard time forgiving even though we know that we've been forgiven of far worse things ourselves? How quickly do we speak ill of others even though we know we shouldn't or think ill of others even though we know that we've been forgiven? But we shall be saved by his life. Because having been joined to Jesus through faith in his death, we've also been joined to him by faith in his resurrection life, which means the power of Christ through his Holy Spirit, the power that taught us to understand our need for him, the power that gave that faith to us, that power dwells within us. And so Christ even now is weaning us away from the sins that once held us fast. Christ even now is transforming us so that we who were addicted to sin, we who were addicted to defilement, we who were filled with selfishness are being made selfless are being made holy, are being caused to love that which is good and right and pure. doesn't happen overnight. You know why? Because we have to learn that our hope is not in us. That it's not as though we just made this decision. Aren't we smart? No, we have to learn how untrustworthy we are. But how powerful, how worthy, how good He is. And so He's saving us. He's delivering us bit by bit, day by day, so that at the end we will bear the image of Christ. That's what that means. And therefore we rejoice. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We can't, we can't. Young young people hear this. We cannot accept this as an academic thing, as some, we're going to talk about this more tonight, but we can't just acknowledge the facts and not be moved. If you really get the eternity of suffering and loneliness and struggle that He freed you from, if you really get the immense privilege of being reconciled to God, if you really grasp the immensity of the task that He has undertaken in saving you from yourself and your sins and your stupidity, then you can't simply accept it as an academic reality. You have to rejoice. You have to worship. You have to sing His praises. Young men, if you find that that woman, that one, she is, wow, 
you are just blown away by her. I, I always do pre-marriage counseling with couples that want to get married. Heads up, guys. I always ask them two questions right at the start. While we're getting to know each other a bit. What makes you a Christian? Because I'm not going to marry two people if they're not both Christians. So what makes you a Christian? Why do you want to get married? And that's important too. Because if I simply hear, well, you know, it just makes sense that we get married. Or, well, you know, she puts up with me. He gets me, I guess. Really? That's all the passion you can muster for this person? If that's all the passion you can muster for this person in your engagement, what kind of passion are you going to muster when things get hard, when things get really trying, when you really have to dig deep and affirm your love when you don't feel like it? If all we can muster for Christ is, yes, I believe in Him, He is my Savior. But we can't bring ourselves to open the Psalms and sing His praise. We can't bring ourselves to open our lips and pour forth our devotion. We can't bring ourselves to go out there and tell people that He is our hope, He is our life, He is the only thing that makes life make sense. If we can't bring ourselves to do that, then we don't really believe it. We don't really trust it. We don't really get it. But the only way to get it is through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. So if you don't get it, then dig deep, ponder long, and pray for help. But if you do get it, then open your mouth and praise Him. I don't care if you can't sing. God's the one who gave you that voice and it sounds beautiful to Him. I don't care if you get tongue-tied. Confess Him before the world boldly and He'll give you the words to speak. But if He has reconciled you, if He has done that, if He has shown you that incomparable love and that perfect reconciliation, then you need to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. May God cause us to rejoice indeed from the heart at this amazingly, wonderfully unique salvation He has given us in His Son. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us a generosity that is as unique as it is wonderful. I pray that you would help us to recognize how amazingly generous that salvation is and how complete the deliverance that your Son obtained for us. Fill us with love, fill us with wonder, fill us with awe at what you have done. And cause us to bring you the glory, the worship, the praise that you deserve. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, in response, let us rejoice. Let us give him praise. As we stand and sing together number 352 from our Psalter hymnal. 352.
Let us pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, you have generously blessed us. Grant now that we, with a generous love and a generous faith, might honor you with our tithes and our offerings. And grant that they might be used through the wisdom of our deacons in a manner that brings glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Our offering song this morning is Psalm 138a from our Trinity Psalter hymnal, 138a, all four stanzas.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.